Today, I have a message, and the theme is, a full knowledge of the truth leads to freedom, yes, but it leads to godliness. A full knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. Um, If the Lord would have just set me free, I would have fallen on my face seven times. The Lord has to make us free, and He does it through the Word of God. Um, if If you're saved this morning, if you're saved and you know it, but your life is not characterized by godliness, then there must be a breakdown somewhere. You know, uh, something's wrong. It's like having a warning light coming on on the dash of your car. You're riding down the road and that light comes on and says that maintenance is required. It indicates that the vehicle needs maintenance. And if you don't get it fixed, if you don't pull into a mechanic and have them take a look at that and put the machine on there and get a code, it could get worse. You could have serious mechanical trouble. So we need the diagnostic tool of the Bible. Amen? And we need a technician, and the technician is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the Holy Scriptures, and the truth makes us free continually, over and over again. There are three requirements for godly living, three requirements, and that's what I want to do. I want to look at those, and these three requirements lead to... A good moral life, a life that is right with God. But listen, don't be afraid of that word godliness, okay? That word godliness, it simply means being Christ-like. Being more like Jesus, more like our Savior. Being a living, breathing disciple of Jesus Christ, progressing in your Christian walk. That's all it means. Being more like Jesus. Being godly. I don't know of a more godly man who ever set his feet on this earth and walked the dusty streets and the dusty roads of this planet than Jesus, right? So God wants to make us more like his son, Jesus. Just a personal story. um, Because we have Veterans Day coming up, I'm thinking of that. And I remember when I I, uh, volunteered for the United States Army and I was sent to Fort Bragg. I I got my orders when I was in basic training. They told me where I would go. After boot camp, I went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Fayetteville is the closest town there. And I remember my first couple of days and first couple of weeks on that on that base like they were just yesterday. I mean, it's just such a big change for a kid, you know, 19 years of age. And I remember being in there and being in process and everything. And walking around the base, you know, I'm, I'm one of the goofballs that doesn't have a car yet, just walking down to the PX and stuff. And as I'm walking down the sidewalk, um, a bus comes by, a, a van, and it's from a church. And so somebody has a ministry trying to reach soldiers on the military base, which, amen, that's a good thing. Uh, we need to pray for that. If you want to pray for veterans today, I'll tell you a great way to pray is say, God... The military bases all over this country. I pray for good, solid Bible teaching, Bible preaching churches, good soul winning churches to start ministries and go on to these military bases, pick up these young men and women and take them to church. That's what they need. Amen. Uh, So I I was I was thinking I'm a Christian. I'm saved and I don't want to do that whole party life and the barracks. And I know what's going to happen if I hang around there for too long. So I thought I better get into church. 
So to make a long story short, I got on, I, I, uh, you know, I talked to this person. They stopped and they said, we're going to pick you up such and such a time. I went to church on Sunday. But they said, what we do is we'll come get you on Saturday. And if you want, you can spend the night to get us out of the barracks, you know. And I went to this church. And listen, these folks, they were sincere. They meant well. But they were sincerely wrong about how to help an ungodly soldier. They were sincerely wrong. They thought that by having an emotional little evangelistic church service, and uh, by turning the music up and kind of just becoming like the world in order to reach the world, by doing that and then sprinkling a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Christianity in there that they could reach us. But, you know, I was wanting help. And so I responded to the invitation. And at the invitation time, after not hearing the Bible, you understand, not really hearing any preaching, just uh, I don't know what it was he was doing, but I know he wasn't preaching the Bible. After the end of the, the worship service, I came down the aisle and I was there with a couple of other men and the pastor instructed me to, to kneel and to pray at the altar and he would put his hands on me and he would pray that I would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and that I would talk in tongues. And you know what I thought? I didn't know any better. I just thought, Lord, if that's what you have for me and I don't have it yet, I want it. And if this is what's going to help me to live for you, then that's what I want. And I was sincere, and I was there, and I was praying. I was saying, Lord, help me. And he had his hand on my forehead, and he was pushing on my forehead. I, I guess he thought if he like rubbed it in somehow, it would, it would take. But I was honest, and I wasn't going to fake it, and nothing happened. And you know what? It didn't change my life either. And I kept going to those things, but it didn't change my life. You know why? Do you know why? It wasn't because I just wasn't one of these elite Christians who had this special gift that other people didn't have. This was the problem. He wasn't ministering according to the Word of God. What sets us free? Knowing the truth. Would you turn with me to Titus? Titus chapter 1. You're going to need your Bible this morning. Uh, Titus, if you go to the right, and if you hit Hebrews, you, you've gone too far. Uh, Hebrews is too far. <clears throat> Back up a little bit. You'll have First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. There are three requirements for godly living, to make a good living disciple of Jesus Christ, to fix a moral breakdown. Three requirements that the scriptures speak of. And they are the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth, the love of the truth, and obedience to the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And the Bible speaks of all three of those. We're going to take a look, first of all, at the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. You say, Pastor John, how can you talk about other Christian ministries? Listen, I'm going to build this ministry on the truth. We're not going to compromise. And I don't believe we have to compromise to build a strong church. Furthermore, my first aim for you this morning, brother and sister... Young person, my first aim for you this morning is not that I could help you to become a part of a church that's growing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, although we want that. That's not my first aim this morning. My first aim is that you would grow 
in godliness, that you would be a living disciple. I need to help you today, not the people that we want to come in here. I need to help you today. How can I help you? Not by compromising the truth, but by showing you how it actually works. You see, Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. What a way to introduce yourself. Just a servant. That's all I am. A servant of God. And yes, I've been called to become an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ. And I have been sent And he went to the island of Crete where Titus was ministering. And he was sent to that island as an apostle for a specific purpose. And the purpose is in the next phrase. According to the faith of God's elect. To be in accord is to be in agreement or in harmony with. And it means simply this, uh, beloved. It means for the faith of the elect. It means that I came here for the purpose of preaching the gospel so that you would believe. And believing you are the elect, the chosen of God. Chosen out of this world to be different, to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And I came for this reason. As a sent one. So that you would believe. But not just that you would believe. We can't stop there. But that you would go on to acknowledge the truth, which is after godliness. You see that? And the acknowledging. You say, what's that mean? Well, we've got to hear the truth and acknowledge it and respond to it and accept it. And it simply means a full knowledge of the truth. Paul said, I've been sent as an apostle uh, for the faith. And I want you to continue to grow in your faith. And to have a full knowledge of the truth. A full knowledge. So we've got work to do, Paul said. And that's why I left Timothy, or Titus here to organize the churches. And that's what the church is for. Titus was to go all over this island, which was a very ungodly place. It was like Corinth. You know what? Back then, if they wanted to call you a liar, but they got, used, uh, they got sick of using that word and they wanted to use another one, they'd call you a Cretan. Because the people from Crete were, were always liars. Evil beasts, slow bellies, Paul, Paul described them. They were very sinful people. So they'd just call you a Cretan instead of calling you a politician. I mean, a liar. That's what they'd call you. Amen. And Paul said, I want you to come to a full knowledge of the truth, which is, what are the next words? After godliness. Now that's just so packed full of meaning. What is it to go after something? It's to pursue it. That we want to go after this truth. And truth, it leads to, it's in pursuit, it leads to godliness. So simply put, a full knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. How do I make people godly today? The only thing I can do is preach the truth and teach it so that we can understand it and know how to use it on Monday morning. Amen. Amen. But I'm not the Holy Spirit and I'm not you. I can't make your mind up for you. I can't cause you to acknowledge the truth. I can't cause you to have that further knowledge of the truth. You've got to have that want to, that desire. I don't know what it is in a person that just causes them one day to make up their mind, you know what, I want to start learning the Bible for myself. 
It's not just enough to come to church on Sunday morning every once in a while, but I really want to start studying this thing and get in it, you know, and start learning. And when they become hungry for the truth, amen, they become hungry for that sincere milk of the Word of God, and then they start growing and start eating a little bit of the meat of the Word of God, amen. The Bible's likened to apples, it's likened to bread, uh, and you start growing. I don't know what happens, but it's, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that does that. But all, all I'm going to tell you this morning is that you need the knowledge of the truth. Because it leads to godliness, which, as I said, is just being a living disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, to see the negative side of that, look further in chapter 1 and see in verse 12. Uh, Well, verse 11 again. uh, Whose mouths must be stopped. Paul is talking about these false teachers on this island. They're Judaizers. These are the people that Jesus was rebuking, uh, more or less. And he said, you've got to rebuke these false teachers. Their mouths must be stopped. Why? Because bad teaching, bad doctrine leads to bad living every time. And they subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You see, folks, it's a war. It's a battle for the truth. And you've got to listen to the right teachers. Verse 12, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, <laughs> evil beasts, slow bellies. To say that you're a slow belly means that you're a glutton, that you're lazy and you're a drunkard. That's what these people were like. You know, uh, a man will do a lot of things wrong when he's drunk that he wouldn't do if he was sober. You know that? That's the truth today. A man would be a better man if he could get away from the drink. The drink will make you do things that you never thought you would ever do. And then it gets a hold of you and you can't let go of it. God save us from that. And that's what he called them. Well, how can we be delivered from this? Because that's who, that's who Titus had in church on Sunday morning. How can he help them? Paul said this thing about the truth. That's how you help them. That's what leads to godliness. And Paul said this witness is true. Now look at verse 13. Look. Listen, I can't be Mr. Rogers up here every Sunday. I can't. Because my job is sometimes to rebuke sharply. A rebuke is a hard correction. A reproof is a soft correction. Sometimes we just need to be rebuked. You call it getting your toes stepped on. Amen. And I like it sometimes when preachers just rebuke from the pulpit. And I like this because it's a public setting. And I don't know your lives. I don't know everything that's going on. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit just leads me to say something. And I don't know personally who it's going to get. You know, but you just say, Lord, I received that from you. And my desire is to get right with you. And thanks for reminding me of that and pointing that out today. Bringing that to my attention. And humble yourself under it when you get rebuked. Sometimes it's a personal like one-on-one rebuke. And none of us want to go there. That they may be sound in the faith. That's the purpose. Sound in the faith. That's just another way of saying godly. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men through the preaching of the gospel, you know. The grace of God, that's the unmerited favor, kindness of God, the love of God. Willing to forgive sins, willing to cancel out your sin debt, make you just as pure and clean inside, just as white as snow. I I should not say that word, should I? 
Don't say the words. Don't say the S word. Don't say snow. We don't want that yet, do we? But he can make you just as white and clean on the inside as any angel in heaven. That's the grace of God. And it brings salvation to all men, teaching us that. Now, what does it teach us? What does the gospel teach us? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But listen, notice the word teaching in verse 12. Teaching, you see it there? That's how it happens. We have to be taught. So we have to have, first of all, a knowledge of the truth. And that's what Paul said when he was also instructing another young preacher, Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, he said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier, Paul said to Timothy, that you've been chosen to be a soldier and to bring people to a knowledge of the truth. Paul said to Timothy that God will have all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. Let me just kind of wrap that up and we'll move on to the next point. Our beliefs should change our behavior. Our beliefs should change our behavior. And like I said, you're riding down the road of life and a warning light comes on on your dash and that's the Holy Spirit saying, look, there's a problem here. There's a moral problem. You're going to have a breakdown. You got to get it in and get it fixed. Pull into God's garage. Amen. The church, the church house, or just pull into God's garage, your closet at home and get alone with God and get it right. Good, sound doctrine always results in healthy practice. It's supposed to. And that's one difference um, between a ministry that is biblical and healthy and a ministry that is not. A ministry that is biblical, you'll get plenty of Bible. That's what we want to do here. Plenty of Bible. And that is what is going to help us. This knowledge of the truth. Secondly, the love of the truth. It's not enough just to have a head knowledge of the doctrines of the Bible, but we must make it a heart matter. There must be a love of the truth. You're close to it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, you go back to the left, go past the Timothys, and go to the Thessalonian couple of books there. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10. And notice what it says. We need to have this be a matter of the heart. We need to love the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 says here, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not... Well, that's chapter 3, verse 10 of chapter 2. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth. Now that verse is describing the condition of unbelievers at the beginning of the tribulation period. Because they receive not the love of the truth in the church age, they will be deceived in the tribulation period and will be damned. But it, it talks of a love of the truth. Do you see that there? Either it's God's love for us, that is told to us through the gospel, or else it's our love for the truth. But I think it's both. If you really search that phrase and study that in the Bible, I think it's both. There must be a love for the truth. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth this morning? Um, have you ever heard of a book safe? When Randy and I were at this training, this seminar on biblical teaching and preaching, 
uh, over the last two days. Um, they used an illustration about a book safe, and I've seen these things before. It's a clever way to hide your valuables in your house from uh, thieves, you know. And, and, and it's a book that's on the shelf, and it's a large book, and it looks just like a normal book. But if you were to take it down and open it up, it's hollow inside. Sometimes it's a large travel guide. Sometimes it's something else. And it's a safe book. And when you open it up, what does it contain? Precious valuables. Maybe papers, documents that you want to keep. Maybe uh, expensive jewelry. Maybe a watch or something precious to you that is irreplaceable. You know what the Bible is full of? Precious treasures. And the more that you search the scriptures, the more that you're in there and you study, like the Bible says, the more that it becomes precious to you and you start to love it. Amen. Sometimes when I'm at home reading my Bible and don't, I'm not going to try to fool you here. I'm not always as spiritual as what I could be all the time. I go through phases, you know, just like any of us here. Some, sometimes we cool off on God, don't we? But there's times when I'm at home and I just reading the Bible and I just hold it to my chest. And I just think about what I've been reading and how God is speaking to me. And to think that the God of the universe is speaking to my heart in Little Racine, Ohio. Why? Well, because He loves me. And the Bible is God's love letter to me. To tell me over and over again, I love you, I love you, I love you too much to let this be in your life and hurt you. I love you too much to let you go on and to run my name through the mud with something that is not fitting. It's not appropriate with the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to correct you on it. Sometimes it's correction, sometimes it's just comfort. But I've learned to love the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? Is this book a safe book that is just filled with treasures? You know, if my house were to burn down, God forbid that it should. But if it would, you ever think about that? What if my house is on fire? Is there anything that I would run in there to get? You know, I would run inside and I would make sure that Beth and the kids were safe and, and the cats. And I would have a time. I'd probably die of a, as, asphyxiation. Is that what that's called? Trying to get all them cats out of there. But listen, after I got Beth and the kids out, I'd probably get my Bible. <laughs> and then I'd try to scoop up some cats on the way out. We got, if you guys need some cats, I'm telling you, these things are cute. But anyways, I would grab this Bible, this one right here. Because you know Why? It's got all my notes from Bible school. All my notes. Thousands of notes in here. It's got my stains of my fingers from being a construction worker and taking my Bible to work and reading my Bible on my lunch break with my dirty fingers, you know. It's, I love this book. I love the Bible. But this one, if I lost it, it's, there's not another like it on the earth. It's precious to me. Is your Bible precious to you? Do you have tears on your Bible? Amen. From where you've been praying for folks or where you've just been just so happy in the Lord that it just comes out, you know. You ought to love the truth. And listen, when you love the truth, that has a, that has a powerful effect. There's many things in the Bible which try our heart, which comfort us. But that is the only motive that will lead to our last point and obedience of the truth. First Peter. So you have Hebrews, if you go to the right, you have Hebrews, James, and then First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. And the Bible speaks of obedience to the truth. Can I tell you something here today? 
that legalism will not lead to an obedience to the truth. I hate legalism. I've come up in legalistic churches. The, the independent Baptist churches that I've been a part of have been legalistic. Now, not real bad, but they have been. And I wasn't even aware, aware of it at the time. Can I tell you this? This is legalism. At least as I've experienced it. Legalism says that if you just abide by these rules and these standards that we have, you will be accepted with our group. You will be approved by our group. You dress a certain way. You talk a certain way. You listen to a certain kind of music. You read a certain kind of Bible. You will be accepted and approved with our group and therefore you're right with God. That's legalism and that's deadly. It doesn't work for very long. And that's worldly. I'd add that too. It's worldly. That's what it's like when I was a hippie. You can't be with a crowd of hippies unless you dress like a hippie and look like them. I was a modern day hippie, which was just a grunge idiot of zero. But listen, you're not going to hang out with that group of, of uh, 90s grunge idiots unless you dress like them, talk like them, act like them. You won't be accepted. That's worldly. Legalism will not lead to godliness. And it will not lead to a permanent obedience. You know what will? Love. 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 Love of the truth will lead to an obedience of the truth. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22. I do what I do because I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Only a wholehearted obedience to the truth can lead to a purity of life or godliness or being a living disciple of Jesus Christ. We must obey. Trust and obey. If you take a look in the hymnals and you look at the... The uh, back in the back of the hymnal, you look at the different categories, the subjects. Uh, you, you can find in some hymn books the subject of obedience, but not in many. Um, and you, you look for that subject obedience and, and look and see how many hymns are underneath there. Not very many. In some, as we heard, only trust and obey is in there. And one that I have at home, I have the Rejoice hymn book. It has about 10 of them, but half of them are choruses. And in the other book that I have at home, uh, uh, Great Hymns of the Faith, there's not one underneath. There's not even a, a subject of obedience. That means that that's not exactly a strong suit for us as Christians. Obedience is not a popular subject. But listen, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That is so true of the, of the Bible from cover to cover. The only way for us is to obey, and it's what God expects of us. Listen, if the Bible is the Word of God, then it must be obeyed, right? If it is the Word of God, and it is, then it must be obeyed. What I think, what I think... What difference does that make? <laughs> what you think? That makes no difference. What does the Bible say? What, public opinion and polls. What difference does that make? 
What does the Bible say? Public opinion and polls says one thing on a moral issue. But what does the Bible say? And which one are you going to stand with? Will you be obedient? Or will you not? You see, if it's the Word of God, then we must obey it. I'll give this illustration and then we'll close. Talking about the obedience to the truth, the hand of a heavenly messenger delivered a roll of scripture, which is a scroll. And he delivered this this scroll to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And and, and Ezekiel opened up this scroll, which would have been on two rods and rolled up together. He opened it up and he noticed that it was written on the inside and on the outside. And this heavenly messenger handed this to him and and instructed him to eat the roll. To read it and then to eat it. And so Ezekiel says, I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. And Ezekiel heard these words say, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it. Ezekiel says, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And you know, this this outline that they gave us at this this conference, um, I adapted it a little bit. But you know what he did? Ezekiel accepted the role, which was the Word of God, right? He accepted it, right? He acknowledged it. He accepted it. And then he agreed that it was good because he said it's sweet like honey. He agreed with God that this is good. And then he acted on it. He ate it. And when you eat something, it becomes a part of your very being and it nourishes you. You know what the word of God is? You must hear the word of God and say, listen, that's the word of God. I I accept it. I accept the word of God. And then you must take it in to you, into your life, into your heart, and agree with God that it's good. No matter what the world says, it's good. I accept it. And then take it in and let it become a part of you and nourish your soul. And that will strengthen you to live a godly life. You cannot live without the word of God. Man doth not live by the word, man doth not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, doth man live. Amen. I'm a Baptist preacher, folks. When I say I'm going to conclude, it doesn't mean anything. No. <laughs> I am. I'm going to conclude. But here's a modern day example. This world wants us to be quiet. That's all it wants. Be quiet and go away. It's like a, a disobedient child that you don't want to deal with. Be quiet and go away. Right? That's what that world wants from us. Beth and I were taking parenting classes and the teacher kept going on and on and on. And I've heard hours of this about how it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong to use corporal punishment. I've heard hours of this, which I agree for a child that's been traumatized. You should not use corporal punishment, but they make it seem like it is wrong in every case and that it is that 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 it has been discovered by psychiatrists, that it is totally not acceptable and it does not work. And I've heard hours and hours of this and I was just feeling kind of a little bit froggy and just kind of like, man, I've just got six hours of this today. I'm going to, you know, 
I just raised my hand. I was like, I've got to disagree. I said, I just, I'm not buying it. She said, what do you mean? And, and I said, I'm not buying it. Uh, that's what you say. And that's what you think and what I think doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? And she'd already talked about how she was a Christian and stuff. And, and, and I said, what does the Bible say? And she says, well, the Bible doesn't tell us to whip children. And I says, it absolutely does. You ever read the book of Proverbs? And then I was like, now here I've started an argument. But you know what? The others in the classroom, they came against me. And they sided with the worldly way of thinking. You say, what is that? You've got to accept the word of God and say, God, it's good. And it's sweet in my mouth like honey. And then I'm going to appropriate it. I'm going to let it become a part of my life. And I'm going to act on it. And when you act on it, when you act on it, that's when that change happens. Have you done that? Are you living a godly life right now? Have you lived a godly life last week? This is the first day of a new week. What was last week like? What do you want this week to be like? Would you stand with me as we pray together and sing a hymn of commitment today? Stand with me and let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. Today is a A message for Christians, but listen, if you're not saved, you need to obey the gospel and come forward and accept Jesus Christ into your heart and your life so that you can have your sins forgiven and have eternal life. You need to obey that first. But listen, uh, brother and sister, let's just tarry for just a moment, just before the Lord. This is a time for commitment. A commitment. Just between you and the Lord, I'm going to help you, guide you through it. But you know what the Christian life is about? Every day I make a commitment or else I don't. Either we make a commitment or we don't every day that we're going to walk with the Lord as a living disciple. And so every day we make commitments. Every time we come to church, we need to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ and our love for Him. And once again, tell Him, I love you, Lord. Help me. To walk with you. Forgive me for where I've been wrong. Cleanse me afresh and anew of all my sins. That's what we do at this time. Are you prepared right now to renew your commitment to Christ? Stephen Olford, a great Bible teacher and an evangelist and a pastor from yesteryear. He said, only when we obey His word are we His disciples. Only when we obey His Word are we His disciples. If you think you're a disciple of Christ and you're not obeying His Word, you're fooling yourself this morning. So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here today. As we're leaving this place, Lord, I pray once again for the forgiveness of sins. Wash us and cleanse us anew. We've sinned against You in thought and word and deed. We've omitted things that we should have done. You say in your word, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God, I pray for forgiveness and cleansing. Wash us whiter than snow. I thank you that we can be, based on the blood of Jesus Christ, based upon his, his death for us on the cross and his merits alone. And God, help us. We commit our lives right now once again to you. To, to, to know the truth and to go on studying the truth, to, to wake up each day and to, to, to read a little bit of the Bible or of a devotional and to pray and to, to go on each day with our quiet time 
We commit this to you again. Help us, Lord. Make us free. Lord, we we commit ourselves not to just know the truth, but to love the truth. And may we show you that we love you by our obedience. Our obedience. Help us with that thing, that besetting sin, whatever it is that we struggle with. Help us with that. Help us to, to serve you out of love and may others see it. May it flow out of our lives and into the lives of others as we're just simple lovers and followers of Jesus Christ. We commit this to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.